0: This series contains adult language and descriptions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Cavalry Audio. Welcome back to Death by Southwest the podcast where each week I share a different grisly murder story unique to the American Southwest while my sister and co-host tries to piece together the clues and unravel the mystery behind each of these heinous crimes. I'm your host, Margot, and I'm here with my sister and co-host, Jenna, and let's get into today's episode. So last week, we got into the first half of the murders of Isabel Salas and Maribel Gonzalez, two young Tucson girls who vanished less than a mile from each other, two years apart, but forever connected due to the fact that the discovery of one girl's body would ultimately lead to solving the other girl's case. Mm -hmm. You don't want to miss what happens next in today's murder story, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors.
1: You know that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Shopify is the sound of selling everywhere, online, in store, on social media, and beyond. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash crimes, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash crimes to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash crimes.
0: Just to kind of recap for people, we learned that the details surrounding Isabel's disappearance in 2012 were kind of as follows. Um, Isabel's parents tucked her into her bed late on a Friday night in 2012. They assumed their daughter was safe and sound in bed in her own home. But they woke up to what felt like a living nightmare when they discovered that Isabel was nowhere to be found. And for two long years, even though the police followed up on countless leads, no one was officially ever named as a suspect. So at this point, we're... So what are we, in 2014? Mm Mm-hmm. We're Mm -hmm. about in 2014. And the police and the public still had their suspicions about Sergio. But let's just assume that he was not involved, because at this point, there is zero hard evidence connecting him or linking him to this. So then the question is, well, who the fuck was responsible then was it another family member a friend or acquaintance maybe uh, some people believe that her family was trying to cover up like a tragic fatal accident or you know was it completely random just a stranger who took her out of her bed in the middle of the night so what about
2: the brothers that's on my mind
0: everyone like Sergio said yeah they were heavily interviewed for three hours polygraph tests for everyone and everyone checked out I don't think
2: it could be a complete random act from a total stranger because I mean it could sure but would a total stranger unless you've been watching this home right perhaps they did so unless they've been watching this home would they know that the makeup of the family and what time they go to bed and what room is in what so maybe someone was
0: watching which now I feel freaked out. I can't tell you that.
2: I know. So who did it? That is the question. I want to know.
0: But before we answer that question or try to answer that question, we're going to get to know the other girl that I mentioned in this story who was a very, very important part of this story and deeply connected to Isabel. And her name is Maribel Gonzalez. So Maribel Gonzalez is 13 years old and lived with her mother, Valerie Kalanji, in an apartment complex on Tucson's east side, about a mile from Isabel Salas. And
2: is this same time period?
0: Yes. So Isabel went missing in 2012. Right. Okay. So we're going to flash forward for this story to 2014. Got it. So although the two girls didn't know each other, they seemingly were very similar in personality. Both were happy, energetic, lovable, and well-liked girls who happened to be very close with their families. They would also, sadly, both share the same tragic fate. And for the Gonzalez family, 2014 would prove to be a year full of tragedy, with the first happening on New Year's Day, when Valerie, Maribel's mom, was the victim of a brutal and intentional hit and run that left her in life-threatening condition and left two others dead, including her boyfriend. So according to the Arizona Daily Star, at 3.45 a.m. on January 1st, 2014, Valerie was a passenger in Patrick Balbastro's car, who was assumed to be her boyfriend, and the two were driving through a Southside Tucson neighborhood when they witnessed a man assaulting a woman. They called 911. And then stopped the car and got out to try and intervene and break up the fight between this kind of unidentified male suspect and the woman who was later identified as Cindy Burnett, a 47-year-old Tucson woman. The unidentified man briefly fought with Patrick and Valerie before suddenly climbing into Patrick's vehicle and intentionally running over all three of them, Valerie, Patrick, and Cindy, the woman that he was initially assaulting. Wait, got into
2: Patrick's car, and yep. Patrick and Valerie and Cindy were outside of the car, right. standing there fighting or whatever they were doing. Yep. And Patrick said, let me rev
0: this and go. No, no, this this unidentified man. Oh, I'm sorry, yes, yeah. okay. And he ran over them? Multiple times. So, you know, Patrick, Valerie stopped, got out, tried to help Cindy, who they right. didn't know. Who was being and, assaulted by this unidentified individual. Right. And so th- they were trying to help her and the the unidentified male was like fighting them off and, and physically fighting with them. And then all of a sudden he kind of like got up, ran away from the fight, got into Patrick's car and ran over all three of them who were kind of standing there shocked, like what's happening multiple times. Wow. Yeah. And he quickly fled the scene in Patrick's car after running them over and then abandoned it after smashing into a tree near East Sunland Vista and South Campbell Avenue. Um, Tucson Police Sergeant Chris Widmer described the aggressive attack, saying that the suspect used the vehicle as a weapon to strike all three victims multiple times. Cindy was pronounced dead at the scene and Patrick died due to his injuries after being transported to an area hospital. So, aside from the suspect who was now on the run, Valerie was the only survivor. The suspect was eventually identified and caught halfway across the country in Kansas, Missouri, after an intense 30 minute foot pursuit with more than 40 law enforcement officers through heavily wooded areas and creek beds. So, did he? I wonder if he dr- took and drove and fled the
2: Arizona with a car or did he get on a flight and then land and then something i don't know yeah. i don't know that that's a that's a good question ultimately I don't know. though he was running 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 through a forest right they didn't catch till they took him down a, right
0: so on december 14th 2015 so this was almost a full year later um a superior court judge sentenced the now identified suspect 30-year-old Michael Dwayne Lede on two counts of second-degree murder and two counts of aggravated assault for the deaths of Patrick Balbastro and Cindy Burnett and for seriously injuring a third victim, Valerie Kalangi. What were um, Valerie's sustained
2: injuries?
0: I will tell you right now. Huh? Well, I'll tell you in one minute. So okay, fine. Follow. <laughs> So following the sentencing, uh, Lede made a statement and he said, I just want to say I'm sorry to the victims and families and to the victims. I never meant for anything to happen. He said this while he was sobbing in court. It just happened. I never meant to hurt anybody. I'm sorry. I know you guys can't forgive me, but I'm sorry. And Lede was right. His apologies were too little and too late because the night of January 1st would forever change Valerie's life. Not only did she lose her boyfriend, but she suffered a traumatic brain injury and spent more than six months in the hospital and then in rehab learning how to completely walk again. Wow. She attributes her ability to getting through the horrific incident to her daughter, and she's been quoted multiple times saying that Maribel was the only thing that kept her going and got her out of bed each morning. She said that it was because of her close relationship with Maribel that she pushed herself to leave the rehab facility a little bit early before she was necessarily ready to, so that she could quickly be with Maribel again, who had been staying with family over the past six months. And speaking about her relationship with Maribel before the hit and run, she said, We would go shopping, we would go out to eat, we would be cleaning the house, we would do a lot of stuff together. She would go walking with me around Reed Park every day after work. We were very close. And after leaving rehab, Valerie lived with her parents for a month, but then was finally able to get an apartment for herself and Maribel in May of 2014 and said, we were excited about being together. We were happy to be in our own little place. And Maribel was excited to be my little nurse and help me get better. So needless to say, the two had an extremely close mother-daughter relationship, which only makes the events that... We're about to unfold in the coming months that much more heartbreaking.
2: I mean, how much can one individual take, right? It's like, where is Valerie now?
0: And Honestly, I, you don't, I
2: don't, I'm not, I'm I asking that seriously and like hypothetically or whatever the word is, but um, like
0: good grief. I don't know. I, I believe she's still in Tucson and interviews that I've seen with her um, following this incident and following the incidents that we're about to talk about She's honestly such a she's so collected. I I mean I feel like I would be a disaster. And she is very obviously just heartbroken and pained so deeply, but she really seems I don't know, to like keep it together fairly well, which is I uh, I'm not sure quite sure how you do that after I mean this is a this is a horrible tragedy for yourself. You lost your boyfriend and then you know without saying too much. Right, I don't know exactly what happened, but right. I know something happened with her daughter. Right. Right? right. Yeah.
2: So she's still living on this physical earth. Mhm. Good mm-hmm. for her.
0: I mean, good for her, but good for her, like, wow. So June 3rd, 2014 seemed like a normal day for Maribel and Valerie. The two went shopping with Valerie's mom. Maribel's grandmother, for some new clothes, and they got home around 6 or 7 p.m. on this June 3rd. Valerie needed to lay down and rest as she was still recovering from the New Year's Day attack and she was still taking pain pills. And Maribel decided to walk over to her friend's house up the street to hang out. Sadly, Maribel never made it to hang out with her friend because similarly to Isabel, who had been abducted barely a mile away two years earlier, Maribel vanished and was never seen again after that evening. So the friend
2: that she was walking to's house, home, mm-hmm. uh, I'm guessing the police, whoever um, contacted that friend or that friend's parents, parents and asked, did you see her that evening? Mm-hmm. They said no, which is how you know, we know that she never made it there. Right. She was en route.
0: Yeah. So later that night, Valerie woke up expecting Maribel to be back home from her kind of outing with her friend. But she was nowhere to be found, which was apparently very highly unusual for like they were in touch all the time. They had a good relationship. Maribel, if she went out to a friend's house, she would always kind of keep Valerie appraised like where she was going when she was going to be back. And Valerie hadn't heard anything. This was super weird. So she immediately called Maribel's cell phone and began looking for her. No answer on the cell phone. So Valerie said we were driving around looking for her, going to places where she might have been, talking to friends, went by the school, anywhere that I thought she could be. And when Valerie had kind of exhausted the list of people and places that might may know or may be where Maribel was, she called the police. Unfortunately, law enforcement immediately classified Maribel's disappearance as a runaway, something that Valerie vehemently disagreed with, saying that she knew this was not the case. Maribel would never run away. And earlier you had said about Isabel, Isabel, Mm -hmm. okay,
2: I might think that it was a runaway situation Mm -hmm. because she popped her... She could have popped her window out. Right, right. And also she was only six. And so Maribel is 13. Right. I was just about to say that. Like, why did they immediately classify it as a runaway? And then I recalled her age. Not that I think that's enough evidence to say it's definitely sure. a runaway,
0: but more likely. But, but just kind of looking at it uh, from an outside perspective. Sure. A six-year-old, I'm guessing you're not running away. So sure. I understand classifying that as a as a child abduction more quickly a 13 year old I do understand that maybe because I remember myself as 13 and there were times when I was like I'm gonna run away and I'm gonna walk away from this house and never come back so I do understand that that's a potential thing right but I don't understand the labeling it immediately labeling it also what you just said
2: about Isabel I understand why they wouldn't label it or even maybe consider a runaway I also don't understand why they labeled it an abduction maybe she crawled out her window because she saw a weird coyote. I don't, you know, I don't know. Totally. I don't either. Also I, at at six, six, I think I quote unquote ran away too, but I didn't have to pop out a window. I just walked out the front door. Exactly. For two minutes and I then came I back. I think I took like
0: a little like rolly suitcase and walked away for like five minutes and then I was like, I'm back. So I just think
2: landing on anything seems odd, but I'm not sure. a police investigator. So
0: who knows? What makes you classify this as a child abduction versus a runaway versus anything else. It's on the lookup list. So, you know, Valerie was very, very stringent on like, she did not run away. We have a great relationship. That would never happen. And on June 6th, 2014, so that is exactly three days after she went missing, her mom, Valerie, said that she was watching the local news when she heard that a body had been found in the desert. And Valerie said, quote, we didn't know where she was. It was the nighttime and I got home from looking for her that day. I put the news on and I see that they found a body. And then I saw the tattoo that they found on the body and I didn't want to believe it was her. And apparently I I read that she like just fell to the floor in hysterics because on the news they showed that the body that had been found had a small butterfly tattoo on the collarbone, which Maribel did. And at thirteen? Yeah. I mean well, I got my first tattoo at thirteen.
2: That sounds a little judgmental. I'm not judging her. I'm just a little surprised because yes, no. I know you got one early. I got one. I think sixteen, fifteen. Mm-hmm. So it's not crazy, but also that's
0: not typical. Common. Yeah, it's young. Yeah, it's young. But it's also a exactly that you find a young girl's body who has a tattoo, a, a butterfly you know, tattoo on her t- collarbone. That's There's not a lot of people who, you know, I'd imagine there's a lot of 30-year-olds who have a butterfly tattoo somewhere on their collarbone. There's probably not a lot of 13-year-olds who do. Easily identifiable. Also, after only three days,
2: although it was June, so it's Mm. hot. But Mm. still, after three days, probably would have been able to identify her anyways. But
0: okay. Wow. Awful. Terrible. She saw it on the news. It wasn't even like somebody called her or or alerted her to this. She saw it on, you know, she is spending every single day looking for her daughter and then comes home, puts on the news and sees that they found a body that has the same exact tattoo as her daughter has. It, just absolutely awful. And so everything I read said she like fell to the floor. She called her parents and said, I think they found Maribel's body. So according to police reports, Three days after her disappearance, a woman spotted drag marks, like it looked like a body being dragged, I guess, through the sand. So drag marks leading to where authorities actually recovered the body. Maribel's body was found in a desert area near Trico Road and Avra Valley Road, nearly 35 miles away from her home. She knew it. I, yeah, I don't think she, she needed time. confirmation. That's what not. I was going
2: to ask. You yeah. kind of skipped three days forward or two, a couple days forward. Yeah. Like, okay, did they not contact Victoria because the news people are that good? The news reporters are that good. They were the first on the scene and they just put that report up. That whatever evening Maribel. news. I don't know. Well, no. But Valerie's her mom. So did they not contact Valerie right away when they found the body? I guess not
0: because they didn't They had to
2: do like a whole DNA profile and make sure even though they must have known it was her because Valerie you know I imagine police investigators or officers ask like are there any identifying identifying things tattoos piercings um what color hair all of that
0: yeah it feels like a step was missed there and again this is maybe I missed a step in my research but if not then it feels like a step is missed that that Valerie found out on the news about this and not that they kept it under wraps and came to her and said, hey, this could be your daughter. Do you think this would be her? You know what I mean? I I agree with you. I feel like, I don't feel like necessarily you missed a step. I have no idea. I
2: just feel like there's that disconnect of like, yeah, maybe they have to go through a certain um, process before they can say this is definitely that person. And maybe, maybe they can't say like, we think this is your person.
0: That's true. So the Pima County Medical Examiner ruled that her cause of death was homicide by unspecified means, which actually um, today that's not. So this was in 2014. And today that's not what you're allowed to say anymore. And I only know that because I've, I've started listening to another true crime podcast called Undetermined. And the whole premise of that podcast is its deaths where the rule where, where the cause of death was ruled as undetermined. So it used to be called by un- homicide by unspecified means, and mm-hmm. now it's just called undetermined. Okay. So the. A medical examiner said the circumstances are suspicious and show evidence that there was an attempt to conceal the body because Maribel was found um, with no clothing and no shoes. She was covered by two tires and a bunch of branches and plant debris over the tires. Um, and she was in a very remote desert area that would be, for some people pretty difficult to walk to. There weren't any detectable injuries on her. And so this medical examiner said that that has a lot to do with the age because she was 13. So it can be harder to detect a cause of death because when a person is younger, all the structures in the body are more pliable and they don't show injury as easily as an older person who's a little bit more brittle. And I was that's just going to say that word. Yeah, it's exactly what this Article that's like a quote, and ugh, I hate that. Brittle, we get, but that's we get true. brittle as we get older. But
2: it also makes me think of like when people have been drinking and driving and they get in car accidents, they're more pliable. And I, it's probably not the same thing, obviously. You don't go back in age, but there's some sure. connection there, I think.
0: Yeah, you're more relaxed. Yeah, certainly. certainly. Yeah, of course. How far,
2: and this may be on the lookup list if you don't know, how far off the intersection or
0: freeway. I don't. Uh, That's so, okay. Um, Mark showed me this area on a map yesterday because he was saying it'd be interesting to talk about the area or for us to go there. It's in a similar area to where um, people that he he's close with live, and it is it is more remote. There are less actual paved roads. It's much more kind of like rocky desert. Desert, yeah. It's just desert area. But I don't know exactly, but I do have a map that I will post of where Maribel's home was and then where her body was found. And again, 35 miles, I mean, that is a long way. And I get it was her body
2: or the person who did this to her took her outside of city limits of Mm -hmm. Tucson, but even like within city limits, four miles doesn't sound far. It's
0: kind of far though, within far, Tucson. Yeah, within Tucson, and so yeah. thirty-five here, miles is we're away to
2: like pass Marana or something. Yeah, yeah. we're getting way out there. Okay. It's out there in the desert. So, yeah. wow. Well, um, oh, I have a question. Sorry. Yeah. So okay, I hear she was uh, naked, no shoes, nothing mm-hmm. covered by two large tires. Mm-hmm. Of course, I want to ask what kind of tires. That doesn't matter. Don't know. Uh, twigs and all this, but no visible injuries. Like no. No stab wounds no gunshots no no. no no um what's this called um strangulation strangulation
0: so interestingly enough strangulation was a possibility is what the medical examiner said but because of her age and because of her um her her age her body's ability to kind of this is the wrong term but kind of bounce back um, she didn't bruise right and so it was never her cause of death was never determined the the oh. medical examiner said it could be suffocation or strangulation but she cannot determine it and there was no stab wounds no sh- shock uh, gun, gun shot wounds did there
2: they was, do an autopsy
0: yeah undetermined dehydration i know that's random that's an interesting thought but no that was never said so while only three days spanned between Maribel's disappearance and the discovery of her body, it would take years before her family would get the answers they so desperately wanted regarding who was responsible for her death. And strangely, it would be Isabel Sellis' case that would help get Maribel's family the answers they were so desperately looking for. Don't miss
2: what happens next in today's episode. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors.
1: Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits.
0: So, for the Sellis family, so many questions remained unanswered because at this point, you know, we just talked about Maribel, which was 2014. So that's two years post Isabel going missing.
2: And what year are we in now when some answers come to light? Oh, I'll tell you. Okay. See, sometimes I ask questions too soon.
0: It's okay. It's good to ask questions. My brain's working, working. Yeah. So there was tons of questions still for the Salas family, including was Isabel dead or alive? Because no one knows at this point. We're going to flash forward a little bit to five years after Isabel goes missing, which is 2017. Yes. And for those five long years, investigators worked tirelessly to solve Isabel's case, following up on any leads they received, and they received tons of leads. A lot of the tips seemed very plausible and believable, with reports of people seeing a girl who looked like Isabel in a man's car on the freeway or walking in a park, And while none of these tips actually ever panned out to much, most of these tipsters seemed to be genuinely concerned and believed that they had seen her and they were going to be able to help by calling this tip in. And on July 23rd, this tip came in. 911. Hello? Hello, can I help you? He's coming. What? He's coming. What address are you at? You know what address you're at? 911, what is the emergency? Isabel. 911. what is your emergency? Isabel. What Israel. are you reporting? A kidnap. Do you have a police, fire, or medical emergency? A kidnap. What address are you at? East Old Spanish And are you reporting a kidnapping or have you been kidnapped? Me.
1: Hello? Hello. Hello? This is 911. How may I help you? He's coming. Who's coming? The he's coming
0: for us. Help me. So this call was made by a pair of sisters who were just looking to be involved in the case and prank police. So they spent about $5,000 in police resources investigating this. They had to trace the call, find out where it's coming from. They went to the apartment where it was coming from, and they found that it was these two sisters who were making this call. Police quickly arrested the sisters on suspicion of one count of false reporting to a law enforcement agency and took them to Pima County Juvenile Detention Center. Ultimately, charges were not pressed, and they let them go.
2: Oh, the families, because they're juveniles, so I was— and say, did they? But did their families not have to pay back that five thousand?
0: I don't know. That's a great question for the. Look that would at least
2: be something. They I get, should
0: have to. It's a I terrible get terrible thing. It is
2: also teenagers. <sighs> did you ever prank anyone? I never pranked the police in something.
0: I oh, never pranked I mean, the police. I pranked, period. Ca- I pranked calls when I was younger, but like, yeah,
2: this is awful.
0: This is and and quite frankly, it was so realistic. When I was when oh. I heard that when I was researching this and heard that I I was like. I would be hard pressed to not believe that this was real. Well, the police did. So oh, yeah, my, so sad, so sad. I bet they l- they like
2: learned and grew and never made a prank call again. Yeah.
0: So the kind of the 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 gist of all of that is to say that there was tons of tips, and we are now five years into Isabel being missing, and police have received so many, so many tips that they've tried to follow up on all of them and none of them panned out. But finally, in February of 2017, the FBI received a somewhat promising lead. They got a call and a tip that said a man named Christopher Clements, who now today in 2023 is 41 years old. So this was in 2017, They received a call that said that he had information about Isabel's disappearance. According to court documents, a woman who at the time was engaged to Christopher Clements called the FBI and said her fiancé had told her that he knew where Isabel Sellis was buried. The fiancé claimed that Christopher Clements, who at the time was serving a prison sentence of up to 35 years for a 2017 uh, burglary, had written a letter to her from jail in which he claimed there was a total of four bodies buried in a desert area outside of Tucson. So he was, he was in jail for burglary. And honestly, I I thought like, I don't need to get into the burglary because it's kind of irrelevant to this overall story. But I, I happened to come across a YouTube video that really struck me. And I think it gives a good indication of like who this man is just overall. So he was breaking into people's homes. And so in 2015, there was a woman who just lost her daughter to cancer. And then quickly after her daughter passed away from cancer, she was diagnosed with cancer herself. And this Christopher Clemens called up this woman and said, hi, I'm from FedEx and I have a package for you down here at the FedEx office. I need you to come pick it up. And it's I don't know exactly what it is, but I do know that it's important because it is related to cancer or cancer treatment. So he must have known somehow. I mean, he must have. He must have. But this woman can't figure... In the interview, she was like, I don't know how he knew that I had cancer or that my daughter died well, from I cancer. I don't think she
2: would know. I think he somehow, some way, knew. and for whatever reason, right, identified a person, this individual Vulnerable and then... being. Yep found out information about them so he called
0: her and said "Um, i have a package for you down at fedex related to cancer so so this woman and she refused to be named so i don't know her name but her and her husband left their house after this phone call that they got this phone call and drove down to fedex and when she got home about 15 minutes later she said that she walked into her house and she could immediately tell that like something was wrong someone had been there and someone had been there this Christopher Clements had broken into her home when he watched her and her husband drive to FedEx and stolen thousands of dollars worth of jewelry and precious memorable items that what she a had. piece of shit, right? Yeah, what a fucking piece of shit. Yeah, horrible, horrible. And that's why I felt like it was relevant to say because, like, you are just preying on someone's most horrific, Terrible moments and vulnerabilities in life like a terrible person.
2: I mean a piece of shit either way, even if this woman was healthy and good and all this and had tons of money, but also extra piece
0: of shit. Wow. Yeah. So that was a little sidebar just to kind of give us some idea about Christopher Clements. But if you recall before I said that, he, he had written a letter to his girlfriend from prison saying that there were a total of four bodies buried out in the desert outside of Tucson, but they needed to know exactly where. So in a February 2017 interview with the FBI, Clements, Christopher Clements said that he knew exactly where Isabel was buried, but he wouldn't lead them to her unless they dropped charges for a uh, burglary case against him that he was currently serving time for. Which maybe was or was not the poor cancer yeah, individual. there were multiple. Yeah. So he had several burglary cases and charges in Pima County and several in Maricopa County. Mm. So he was serving Which time. Which is Phoenix area. Right. Yeah. So he was serving time. I'll be completely honest. Some of these accounts said that he, when he talked to FBI, he was serving time in Maricopa. Others said Pima County or vice versa. Well, so yeah, and he's right. done
2: both probably. Right.
0: He also told the investigators that he knew the exact kind of weapon that was used to kill Isabel, but that he did not kidnap or kill her. And he refused to say how he knew where she was buried. Somehow, Somehow, though, investigators gave in. They agreed to this. And so I found court documents that said this, quote, if you immediately provide the information to law enforcement, which leads to the recovery of Miss Sellis, I will dismiss with prejudice the pending case you have with this office. You are currently charged in Pima County superior court cases, if your information regarding Miss Sellis is true and accurate and leads to recovery, these cases will be dismissed with prejudice, meaning you can never be charged with them in the future.
2: It doesn't shock me that they did that because that, to me, it means they assume he mm-hmm. was they involved. They him. It well, yeah, and that he was involved in the murder or whatever of Isabel. Absolutely. And thus, what does it matter if he's in jail
0: for that? He's right. going to go to prison for this, right? So that was in February, this interview. He said, I know where she is. I know how she was killed. I'm not going to tell you how. I'm not going to tell you anything unless you drop my Pima County burglary charges that I'm currently in jail for. They agreed. He signed it. And on March 3rd, Christopher Clements led FBI agents to the area of Trico and West Avra Valley roads. And while they were walking out in the desert searching for Isabel's body, Christopher Clements pointed out an area that had numerous discarded tires. He said it was a landmark that he remembered very fondly. At the time, the agents that he was with weren't exactly sure why he said that. But we can assume it's because that's where he put Maribel's body. Well,
2: we already know that's where
0: someone put Maribel's body. Right. Right. There are two different agencies looking into this. I get that. So yeah, I get that. Things aren't okay. lining yeah.
2: up. Okay. I guess me as the listener and learner about how this unfolded, I'm like,
0: hello. hmm Yeah. So shortly after, he led detectives to Isabel's body and her remains were found. How far from Maribel's? Not far. I mean, we're talking feet. So um, even though police found Isabel's remains on March 3rd, Publicly, they remained incredibly tight-lipped and didn't share any of this information until March 31st, when Tucson Police Chief Christopher Magnus reported on the remains found in this remote part of Pima County. And he said, unfortunately, the results of the DNA analysis did confirm that the remains were those of Isabel Celis, And the manner of death is determined to be homicide, but undetermined. I also
2: have a bone to pick here. Mm -hmm. Maybe not a good phrase. I also have something to raise, a question to raise. Sure. So that makes sense in some ways based on what I was saying about um, Maribel. So Maribel, her poor mother Valerie found out on the news when they had first, like that day or maybe the day before, found the body, right? Right. Yet, Isabel's body was found, and maybe, I don't know if the family knew first, but didn't go public with the news or anything. For a month.
0: For a month, because they had the DNA determine that it was that individual. Right. So like, That's a great question. Right. Why? Why, why was Maribel's um, discovery right away. of her body found right away? Yeah, why did they put it on the news right away? It's a great question. I would love to find out. I don't know the answer. Sure. So, police chief... Magnus also said there has been an ongoing process of many different searches. I can't get into greater detail than that. I can't tell you the exact date or location that we found her body, but I can tell you that the scene was thoroughly processed and a full investigation was done at that location. So Isabel's case, because it went on for so long, I mean, it it, it gripped the community of Tucson, apparently. Like people, there were hundreds of hundreds of volunteers looking for her and people were just captivated by this story and horrified by it this little girl taken out of her bedroom in the middle of the night and so when this information came up people were were upset people were like how did you find her remains after five years and why is there not a suspect why aren't you telling me what led you here like how did you get here after so long and police never really released that information for a very long time so after the discovery of isabel's body While Christopher Clements was now, so remember, he led them to the body. They dropped his Pima County charges. Well, now he's serving time in Maricopa County Jail on a different burglary charge. What about a murder charge? Well, they're not there yet. They don't have anything. Yeah, he led them to the body, but like he- He said, I don't know how I know. Right, and they just, at at five years, they wanted to to have answers. They wanted to know if it was her or not. They wanted to know if Isabel was dead or not. Exactly. So after the discovery of her body, he's now serving time in a Maricopa County jail on a different burglary charge. And of course, authorities begin looking into him at this point. They found the body. That's what they wanted. And he's he's still in jail, just in a different jail for a different charge. But they, they start looking into him. And they discover that he has an incredibly long criminal history, going all the way back to when he was just a child Uh, in around 1993, when he's about 11 years old, he was accused of molesting a very young child, though he was never formally charged. They learned that he was a registered sex offender who had at various times over the years lived in Oregon, Washington, Florida, and Arizona, and just continued to commit numerous crimes in every state that he lived in. In 1998, he was convicted of attempted unlawful sexual penetration with a foreign object in Oregon. Meaning, he penetrated himself? No, he tried to penetrate someone else else with a foreign object.
2: Well, to me, that would be rape with a foreign object. Sure, that's what. I'm not. Yes. I'm not shitting on you. I'm just saying, like, that's a real
0: unlawful sexual penetration policey term. label. Yes, of yeah. course. Okay. In 2002, he pleaded guilty to felony assault in an identity theft case. And in 2006, he was convicted of failure to register as a sex offender while living in Florida. And he was also convicted of felony theft. And those are just a few of the charges over the years. So while they were investigating him during this time, they also learned that Isabel and Maribel were located in close proximity to him and one another. So they were all living at the times of their disappearances in in similar areas the Tucson Police Homicide Unit and the Pima County Sheriff's Homicide Unit kind of connected on this. So where their bodies were found were uh, Pima County. That was that jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. But where their disappearances were, were Tucson Police.
2: Right, Tucson City Limits. Right.
0: So at some point... After Isabel's body was found, these these units connected. Don't you think they should have connected prior? Probably. And don't you think they should always be connected? Probably. Either way, they they connected and they began attacking these two cases together when they realized that where their bodies were found were very close proximity, where they were taken from was close proximity. So they brought Clemens in for another interview asking him and looking for ways to connect him to both of these girls' disappearances. They started asking him about Maribel. At this point, they only knew that he knew about Isabel because he led them to her body. Right. Right. They also know Maribel was found close. And to. in a similar fashion under tires. Absolutely. So they started asking me about Maribel. And he said, quote, let me tell you this. There's a story that I know. And there's a correlation with, well, I guess you can say, with what I've helped you with thus far. But that would cost you guys a hell of a lot more than what you'd be willing to pay. Police are like, okay, what does that mean? Basically, they said, like, we need to get a DNA sample from this guy. So after much back and forth, they were finally able to get him to agree to a DNA mouth swab in exchange for a cigarette, for one cigarette.
2: They swabbed his mouth. They could have just given him a cigarette and then taken the butt and gotten DNA. You no, know? that's true. Probably. Also, he was in jail for whatever. Like, I get this. They have to go, perhaps, although I don't actually believe this. Always go about it lawfully or above the law. But like, he was in jail. He for burglary, right? But his DNA
0: is all over some shit. Like but- he. But yeah, they have to go about it lawfully, so right. they don't naturally take. If you rape somebody, they're going to take you no, DNA. No, no. I was saying they could go into
2: his toilet and sure, swab it sure, or something, sure, sure. but I guess they yeah, have to do that it lawfully. Is
0: inadmissible. Yeah, I get it. Something. Yeah. So anyway, so they get his DNA and they compared it to male DNA that was found on hair samples taken from Maribel's body. Mm. And while they said that it was not a perfect match, it was a close enough match to say that he couldn't be excluded from a potential person. So they then went deeper into investigating him and they um, investigated, got a warrant and investigated his home, including his computers and media storage devices. They found child porn, sexually explicit photos. They found search histories that said, Isabel Sellis sexy, child killer found not guilty, body found in desert, Arizona cold cases, and many more like disturbing Google searches. They also found a plastic container in his backyard, buried in his backyard. And when they discovered it and opened up this little plastic container, there is a child's sweatshirt and a uh, sheet of homework with the name Mercedes on it, which was Isabel's middle name. You don't want to miss what happens next in today's murder story, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after a short message from our sponsors. And then they got a warrant, based on all of this, they got a warrant to search his jail cell at the Maricopa County Jail. And they found a sheet of paper in his jail cell with the name of an inmate in Pima County. So he's in Maricopa County. right? right? And so they went to this inmate and they were like, we found your name on Christopher Clemens jail cell. What, What was on the paper? This inmate's name.
2: Just the name? Just the name. Oh, okay.
0: And so they found him in Pima County. They said like, why is your name here? Talk to me. The inmate identified Christopher Clements from a photograph they showed him and said, yeah, I I knew him. We were in jail in Pima County together. And he often talked to me about Isabel Salas. He told me that there was damning evidence in the trunk of his car and that he had to get it back. He also told me that Isabel was strangled and chemicals were poured over her body and that I never planned for her to survive the attack. I always planned for her to die from the kidnapping. He also said that, Christopher Clement showed him photos that he had hidden in his Bible that were of the Cellus home.
2: I have so many thoughts, so I'm going to try and be concise. One, do they not check the books and open up each pages?
0: Doesn't matter. I don't know Um, enough about jail to know.
2: He poured chemicals over her body and thought she would die. So does that mean she survived for a period
0: of time after he did something? No. So, what does that mean? I haven't gotten there yet. I mean, that's just what this inmate, this is another right. inmate, it's kind of alleging. Right. Um, that this is what he was, he told me.
2: And he. Uh, they
0: never determined if that was true. Her manner of death, Isabel's manner of death, undetermined. and Maribel's were both the same, undetermined. That is, Isabel's body was too decomposed to really determine anything. Sure. Maribel's body didn't have enough. Um, Anything. Anything on it. it there was. That like, is
2: maddening. And, yeah. and not maddening yeah. for me, but I guess I don't know.
0: Is it helpful to know how? Yeah, to some extent. Maybe. Okay, go on. Okay. So throughout this investigation into Christopher Clements, after they found Isabel's body, he's sitting in Maricopa County Jail. They're going through his home, his jail cell, talking to everyone. And they obviously obtained various pieces of additional information, evidence, which I just kind of expressed, based on this new evidence and information in conjunction with the details and evidence from initial investigations, you know, back in 2012 and 2014, this was all presented to the Pima County Attorney's Office and then the Pima County Grand Jury. And so finally, on Friday, September 14th, 2018, Christopher Clements was arrested and indicted on 22 felony counts, including two counts each of first-degree murder and kidnapping in the deaths of six-year-old Isabel Salas and 13-year-old Maribel Gonzalez. Authorities refused to specifically say what prompted Clements' arrest, But said that based on the information he provided in 2017 that led to the discovery of Isabel's body, um, plus all of the other things they gathered through investigations, that's why he was arrested. Which, like, no shit. Are you kidding? Well, duh. Right? Like, duh. I've
2: known that since he said, if you get me off this, I'll show you this. Right. What I've learned is that they need some more hard evidence sometimes. And you haven't shared that yet. Or it wasn't shared. And also, apparently, the police didn't share it. Maybe they were just like, fuck it, we're going to go above the law here because we know this motherfucker did
0: it. Yep. Well, they're quite honestly, this might be like spoiler alert, but we're coming to the end here. And I'm going to say that there was no, aside from that, the DNA... His DNA compared with the DNA found close. on Maribel's body was close. Isabel's body, I believe, was too decomposed. There was no; they could determine it was her from DNA, but there was no additional DNA that they can compare. No male hair samples, right? Exactly. There are a few more things that I'm going to get to right now, but to arrest him, all they had to do is he. Well, first of all, I mean, he took them to Isabel's body.
2: Well, I, I'm aware. Like I, mean, I know, come on. I don't know, but I knew.
0: Pretty much he did it. Right. So, so go on. Okay. So the cases of both of them were something, it was something called severed, which means he would not be tried for both of them together. These are, he's going to be tried on two separate trials, one for each of their murders. He pleaded not guilty to all charges on both trials. His murder trial for Maribel began in September 2022. Oh, recent. Mm-hmm. God, what happened in those four or five years? Gosh. He was in jail. Well, he was still in jail for burglary while mm-hmm. they were preparing all the I guess, this. yeah. They yeah. just needed time. So he his trial started it, it kept getting pushed back, COVID, this, the other thing. But it started in September twenty two for Maribel. And Maribel's mother and Christopher Clement's former fiance took the stand during this trial. Maribel's mother gave a tearful testimony, of course, talking about her last day and, and just how terrible it was. And then Melissa Stark, a former girlfriend of Christopher's, took the stand and fiance. And she told the prosecution that she had met Christopher at Park Place Mall when he came into a store that she was working at. And they started dating around June 2012 and they moved in together mid 2013. In May of 2014, she gave birth to their son. Oh. And they were no longer in a relationship, but they continued living together for the sake of their son. Wow! Oh. And then, in, so that was May. In June, so she's just like newly has a baby. Mm-hmm. They uh, June third, twenty fourteen. the day Maribel went missing. Mm-hmm. They had a huge argument. She accused Christopher as of being interested in one of her friends because he had cheated on her several times before. Mm. So they had a huge argument. Christopher left their home, which was located several blocks from where Maribel lived. Mm. And On the east side? Mm-hmm. Mm. And he left the home around 8 p.m., which is right around when Maribel was walking to her friend's house. Mm. He didn't return home until around 1 a.m. and woke up his fiance from her sleep and said, where's the bleach? I need bleach. And she showed him. And he said, this isn't enough. So he took her car and left. And about 15 minutes later, came back with a jug of bleach. And when he got home, he asked uh, his fiance, did you look in the trunk of my car? And she said, no. (laughs) Shortly after, he left in his car a silver Acura. And then he didn't come back until sometime between 5.30 and 7 a.m., the morning of June 4th. And when he came in, he woke her up and said, can you wash everything that I'm wearing, can you also wash the shower curtain and clean up anywhere that I walked in the house? And he immediately got into the shower. And then she just proceeded to do that. She washed everything for him without question, which is so weird to me. Also, you just mentioned
2: their shower curtain, which has nothing to do with I Isabel's. Know. But initially, when we first talked about Isabel, yep. there's blood on the shower curtain. Yeah, so it just sparked my mind. I totally, I, I agree.
0: This um, Melissa Stark claims that she never asked Christopher where he was that night because she was too scared.
2: That's what I thought. They had just had kind of a huge blow up, even though she was the one, it sounds like, accusing him, even if she had ample reason to. She was kind of like coming at him with accusations. Maybe it was a huge fight. And maybe, we don't know, unless you know. I don't know. Maybe he was abusive in some way or just scary. You know, maybe she was just trying to keep
0: the peace. They also have a new baby. Right. She's just trying to. Keep keep it together. Yeah. So she never asked him. She did tell police that she noticed that he very carefully followed media coverage on Maribel's death and that he seemed unusually interested in the case. Apparently, they also found on his computer that he searched for trace evidence on a body and that there was a hidden folder on his iPad that had thousands of images of young girls wearing little or no clothing taken from around Tucson, girls around Tucson. And then one of the most damning things was that during the trial, prosecution showed that Christopher Clement's cell phone was in the location of where Maribel was walking, as well as where her body was found the night that she disappeared. Wi-Fi data and GPS data provided by AT&T allowed prosecution to track the movement of him and his cell phone the night of June 3rd through the morning of June 4th. Um, they showed jurors a map of how he traveled from his house and around town, back home, then out here on Interstate 10, and that his phone pinged off several towers in Avra Val- in the Avra Valley area where her body was found. I mean, he <coughs> drove a far way that Very evening. Far. So all of this evidence, none of it is hands down. We are like lock you up and throw you the key. We know it, but luckily. A jury convicted him of first-degree murder of an individual under 15 years old and kidnapping of an individual under 15 years old, and he was sentenced to life in prison in September of 2022. And this is for Maribel? Yes, for Maribel. So what happens with the Isabel? In addition to the life sentence, Judge Marner also handed Clements a 17-year sentence for the kidnapping charge to run consecutively. So he was charged... Life in prison for the the murder and then 17 years for the kidnapping. He's also in jail already for burglary. But the kidnapping of Maribel? Yeah. So it's, okay, you
2: killed her and you also kidnapped her. Yep. Got it. Okay. Yep,
0: yep, yep, Isabel's trial is set to take place this month, February 2023. And what is so this, I, I read this somewhere and I just, I couldn't help but say it. Christopher Clements was actually at Liberty which I believe means like kind of free out in the world, like nothing had been, happened to him yet for the murder of Isabel for a little bit longer than she was alive. Like he's been free and not prosecuted for her murder longer than been over ten years. It's been she, was, alive. It's been, yeah. she
2: was six. Yep.
0: yep. It's been over ten. It's a let
2: long 2012, overdue. Now it's twenty twenty three. Long overdue. Okay. Yep. Um. He. So we'll obviously follow up on this one. Yes. Um. And he was sentenced for the kidnapping and murder of Maribel. of Maribel. And he is where?
0: I believe still in Maricopa County. Okay. Yeah. Really interesting that these two were so interconnected and they never knew each other and they lived so close to each other. And and I mean Maribel was found so quickly, but her her family waited forever to know who did it and didn't find out who did it until until this man took police to Isabel's body, who had been kidnapped and murdered so much earlier than Maribel, but that helped determine that he also killed Maribel. I mean, they're just so intertwined.
2: Well, the person, whoever the person is that called 911 or the police or whoever that found the drag marks. I don't know. They didn't have their name. That's fine. I don't need their name and they probably don't want their name Uh, on here. Also, that is like, that's the kicker or like one of the big kickers because it led to the first discovery of the body body of Maribel's body. Um, Good I, point. Good right. point. So like
0: also who are the other two? Because he said four bodies. Yeah. We don't know that. That's awful. Yeah. Terrible. Terrible. Uh, so I feel like this is one that's kind of like it's somewhat solved. But you're right. There are still two other bodies that in anything that I found, there's nothing that has, they have not accounted for those and bodies. Maybe and maybe he they didn't. didn't find them. And maybe he
2: didn't kill two other individuals. Maybe he's a friggin you know i don't know he wanted to fluff his own feathers and act like he did more than he did probably not true but i did see a lot of interviews where people said i think this man has
0: killed a lot more people so i do too
2: although i have no idea but that's
0: my instinct yeah mine too and we'll you know we'll obviously follow up on this because this is i don't i actually don't think i think her uh isabel's uh, Christopher's trial for Isabel was supposed to start uh, February 3rd, which was yesterday. yesterday. I don't believe that it did. It does keep getting delayed. So we will we will keep uh, tabs on that and do a follow- up. You know, both of these were incredibly sad, sad cases. our thoughts go out to both of the families. There actually was something called the Isabel Salas Foundation that was established in her memory with the goal of helping other families of missing children. So we will post the link to that in the show notes. As always, thank you for listening and good night and good luck. We'll see you guys soon. Bye-bye. Bye. And if you want to see pictures of the victims, the murderers, and any additional related images, head over to our Instagram right now. Our handle across all social media platforms is death, then the letter X, and then Southwest spelled out. So, D-E-A-T-H-X-S-O-U-T-H-W-E-S-T. Death X Southwest. Death by Southwest is a Cavalry Audio production. Hosted by Jenna Schneider and Margot Carmichael. Produced by Margot Carmichael. Associate produced by Jenna Schneider. Executive produced by Dana Brunetti and Keegan Rosenberger. Audio editing and sound design by Revision Sound. Music by Soundstripe. And a special thanks to Edward R. Murrow for letting us borrow his famous sign off phrase good night and good luck.